0: you are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 29. Recently I noticed there's a lot of talk about native woodlands and native woodland development in Ireland. And um, that is uh, mentioned often in contrast to Current forestries and uh, forestry management in Ireland, Sitka spruce, and uh, usually critical comments how bad it is for biodiversity and how we should be developing native woodlands and so forth and so on and so forth. So, as usual in Tommy's Outdoors, in the interest of uh, digging a little bit deeper and finding out what's up from, from various places, my guest and your guest today is Kieran Nungent kieran works for 18 years for past 18 years as a forestry inspector and he's also fire management officer um so i decided that uh, it's going to be great opportunity to talk to somebody who is really close to the issue to talk about native woodlands development uh, forestry and so on and so forth and it turned out to be very very interesting podcast um kieran talks about history of forestry uh, how it came to be, uh, why the forestry has a um, shape and form, how it is today, um, historically, how it how we got to that point, and where we're we going forward. It's a very interesting podcast. We uh, talked about not only about the forestry and broadleaves and um, native woodlands, but we also spoke about uh, all the various animals and wildlife that lives in the forest. And we also uh, talked about fires. Very interesting uh, subject. Uh, I think that everybody who is interested in uh, forestry, uh, or even if you're not interested in forestry, you're just a hill walker, you'll be able, after listening to that podcast, for example, to tell bad fire from good fire. Very interesting. So, um, well, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Kieran Nunjan. Kieran Nugent, how
1: are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me on, Tommy.
0: Oh, thank you for accepting invitation. Um, I usually start podcasts with how how I met my guests. So first time we met at the gun club on the range. Yes. I think you're zeroing a rifle and I was kind of practicing with a rifle and we have a, like a conversation about shooting and deer and all that. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then it was like a couple of uh, weeks ago we met at... Um, learning landscapes landscapes seminars seminars. and you're you had like (laughs) an awesome workshop on native woodland development I think that we kind of like w- looked at each other. And it's like, oh, I know this guy from somewhere. Else. Did I met you at this place? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, It's a small county. Yes. Yes. <laughs> especially when you're kind of uh, interested in one area. So you're just yeah. bound to meet, meet people. in so, so uh, for the benefits of our, user, of, of our listeners, you're a forestry inspector and fire management officer uh, in Forestry Service Department of Agriculture. That seems like a pretty cool job.
1: It is. Yeah, it's a great it's a it's a real privilege to to work in the job I'm in. I've worked at it for about 18 years now. Wow. And I've spent most of that time in Kerry mm-hmm. and w- we get to see a lot of things happen uh, outdoors. Mm. We're out, it's an outdoor job generally, oh, yeah. but also we we get to influence a huge amount that happens. In the in the in the countryside, in the landscape, it's a huge privilege.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and how how do you, how do you end up with such a such a good job? What is it? Is a school that you're? Is it the career path that you can choose when you're young? Or I,
1: I, I, when I was about eighteen, yeah, I made that decision to, wow. to, to train as a forester, professional forester. And uh, I went to university and I studied agriculture, agricultural science, and forestry, specialized in forestry, and then I specialized in forest forest engineering. So I'm wow. my, my main academic background, is in forest mechanization and machinery.
0: Wow. And, so all uh, these machines, um, they're used for for logging and, yeah, and all that. they're
1: highly, highly complex, highly, uh, very, very high tech. And I, I also specialize then with the, the interactions of those machines mm-hmm. and the land and ter- ter- what we call terra mechanics, and ter- wow. terrain analysis and slopes and soils and how these all impact on mechanization so so, it's, how, it's
0: so, so give me an example what's a what's the interaction of this machinery with the soil well
1: the machinery is very heavy it yeah. also has it's a, it has powertrains there's engines mm-hmm. and gearboxes and, mm-hmm. and uh, transmission systems and the slippages and the weight and all of these impact on the soils in the forest so the the trick is to make a very heavy machine of 16 to 20 tons drive on very very soft soils, uh, without damaging them and without causing long term impact.
0: Wow. So, so all these things are taken into account. Yeah. How to spread the mass of the of the machines? Yeah, and how so.
1: how the machines are operated, how the how the initial harvest is designed. All of those things are all planned uh, ahead, and the machinery themselves there's a lot of design. Most of the machines come from Scandinavia. There's a yeah. huge design. ethos around
0: them Uh, that's that's fascinating because when you're when you're talking about uh forestry machinery the first picture that springs to mind is probably chainsaws and these machines that can just cut like a huge number of trees and so Uh, on yeah but you're usually not thinking about machine that is engineered in a way so it actually doesn't do too much damage to the soil and and everything
1: else modern forestry machinery are as complex as airliners. The mm. systems, the electromechanical systems in modern machines are almost similar. They're, they're the same basic systems as you find in, in modern airliners. Wow. The control systems, computerized mechanical controls, etc., are, are are very similar. And if you think, if you go across the road to the Kerry County Museum, there's there's a room in the museum. It's like Indiana Jones full of these mm-hmm. uh, cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. And there's a stone axe head. in the museum that was found on the beach in Ballyfaradar. So there were people working forests in Ireland Uh with stone axes you know, 10,000 years ago 12,000 years ago and now we have these machinery, we have these half million euro machines Mm -hmm. that can do the work of thousands of these men with stone axes every day and we have this power at our our fingertips in the modern forest. So the challenge for us now is to is to manage this capability and, yeah. and, and and to make it make it work for the land. It's a it's a difficult job. It's a it's a real challenge.
0: Yeah, and you see, you see I think that we can jump through right into the question. You know how, because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm part of a mission of the podcast is talk about the conservation and you know the as when I'm talking about people who with people who working in uh, you know. Uh, conservation area let's say the 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 picture is pretty poor and like everything is you know going going to die and so on and so on and um but from i i would expect that from your perspective is it is it like that from your perspective as well or is it like you no know, we're actually doing doing a lot of good stuff to actually you know yeah. develop more forests and and so on
1: At a, at a global level there's a lot of problems I think there's a huge amount of problems at a, at a global level hmm. in terms of how we've managed the planet's forest resources. We've we've cut a lot of them down. Humanity has in, in, yeah. in the last few hundred years. Um, at a European level, the story of forests is is quite different. We we have more forests now than we had in the past uh, because of changes in land use. Mm-hmm. And in Ireland, in particular, we have more forests than we've had since the 1600s. Um, in you know it's we have more most forests for hundreds of years than really? we've ever had, and because of the the work that's been done since independence, our Ireland is almost independent for almost one hundred years, mm-hmm. and almost since immediately after independence, people began the process of planting forests because as a as a country, as a you know as a society, we need timber. It's a mm-hmm. it's a strategic resource. It's something you need to do to build schools or housing. Whatever you need to do as a society, Mm -hmm. you must have the the resources to to do that. And our forest culture, our forest system has developed from that, from a very, very basic type of forestry. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're now the privileged generation of of Irish foresters. We're now able to make the leap from a very basic type of forestry into much more complex ways of of doing this and producing Mm -hmm. and managing a resource uh, in a In a much more environmentally sensitive way
0: right, and what do you mean by simple and complex forestry? Is it like a diversity of the species of trees? yeah,
1: it's more it's a it's a diversity of the species, but it's also a diversity of the techniques that we use, the silvicultural systems, how we grow the trees. Mm-hmm. There's a much wider range of systems now available for for people to choose from mm-hmm. and at the initial stage where we are planting the forests. We can choose those systems almost from from day one and design for those. That's now where we where we want to take wow. our forestry program.
0: Okay, that's that's very interesting to to hear to hear that yeah. that perspective because, again, by you know reading social media, the picture that I have in my head is like, oh, it's completely bad and and wrong, and the iron is behind in some. Goals that were set and, and all that. So obviously, in my picture, in in my head, the picture is like, oh, it's 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 yeah. very bad. Only forest that we have is like a timber production, and and you know, single species mm-hmm. Sitka, and like uh, you know, it's yeah. all bad. And now I have you who is working in that. It's like, no, 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 no. hang on a second. There's like, uh, the picture is different. You're painting quite a different picture. It's a more different, optimistic. yeah.
1: It's a slightly different, different picture. Certainly at the start, the type of land that was avail- available mm-hmm. for forests. It's interesting. Uh, we're coming to the 100 the years of the First World War, celebrating the end of the First World War is, yeah. is, is, is next week. Yeah. And after the First World War, Ireland was part of the United Kingdom at that stage. And people became aware all of a sudden there was an assumption in the 1900s because Britain and Ireland had such low, less than 1% forest cover in 1914. And because our forest cover was so low, there was an assumption that they would just get the wood and the things they need would come from overseas, from the empire, from the colonies. Yeah. And that this would uh, be, on, you know, trade would be uninterrupted and ships mm-hmm. would cross uh, uh, British-dominated oceans with the biggest Royal Navy and, yeah. and a whole lot. Yeah. And whatever timber people needed would come from the colonies, would come from the empire. And all of a sudden, here's the U-boat threat in the Atlantic and the blockade ah. of British shipping and a realization that, guess what? You need wood. To build an army, you need wood. To make explosives, you need wood. To feed pe- people and to store food, you need wood. As usual, to build.
0: war was a mechanism to kind of start it's a, thinking.
1: A, war is a, is, a, is a terrible consumer of raw materials. Mm-hmm. And they needed so much wood and they just didn't have it. And it's no accident that one of the first things they did in 1919, when the dust settled after this, was the establishment of the Forestry Commission in Britain at the same time, our independence movement was really starting to take off at that point. So by the time we reached full independence in 1922, one of the first things the government here was looking at was how do we get forests? How can we get wood? How can we start this planting program? And there there, there had been planting programs prior to this, going Mm. back uh, almost into the 1800s and the Royal Dublin Society. There were lots of different measures to support forestry. But again, uh, people like Charles Stuart Parnell, famous, very famous historical figures were also people who believed in independence were generally interested also in, in forests because mm. they knew that Ireland would need this forest cover. Yeah. The other problem we had was that our population in the 1800s was very, very high and almost all of the arable land in the state was needed for agriculture. So in, in defining new forests, a new forest policy, the only land that was available for planting was the land that nobody else wanted, the land that people didn't want to farm on, which was generally in the mountains, in the bogs. The, you know, the worst type of land. Very, very challenging yeah. uh, types of soils, very challenging exposure conditions, all of the things. Probably the worst places uh, for trees to try and grow in were, were the places that were given. Uh, yeah. And the foresters were told, make, make forests. And they did, and they chose species from North America that could tolerate the conditions. Right. And they, they overcame the challenges at, at the time. The challenge was to produce wood and produce and employment. And
0: what, what was the, the was it Sitka? The Sitka, the, Sitka the, would have been
1: one of them. Lodgepole Pine was another. Douglas Fir uh, on better soils. There was a whole range of of mm-hmm. species. And also then as the estates, the larger uh, landlords' estates were broken up, some better quality sites were mm-hmm. brought back in and, and species like birch and oak and beech yeah. were planted On these and grown uh, on on a commercial basis, a lot of ash was planted also, but the majority of the land planted was uh, was planted with conifers because Mm -hmm. that's what the policy uh, required, and also that's what the land really uh, limited the people to plant.
0: Yeah, and this is very like. And as usual, we had a we had a quick chat before before we started recording. That when you have these kind of like a more detailed conversation, you kind of dig in deeper yeah. into the details because this is very interesting fact that yeah, one thing is a is a production of timber, but also limiting factor of of the soil available because obviously you have farming and, yeah. and, the, and the conflict of farming and the lands for, for, you know, forests and the natural that's, that's known around the world. And like, okay, so I have this good soil for farming purposes. And then I have anything else that farmers is not useful for, for farmers. And like you said, like, Hey, f- you know, make wood there. Yeah. And like, okay, what's so, so what I'm going to do. So that's very, very I'm, interesting. It was never, never come up no. so far that like, yeah, can these soils where we have all those plantations of, of, uh, of conifer trees, can it actually support anything else?
1: Mm. Well, I think in terms of, of other species, this, the choice of trees that they could support is, is very, very small. And the choice that they can support productively is even smaller. Mm-hmm. So we have to go back to the, the, the kind of mind frame. Uh, at that point and the values that people had at that point they they weren't interested in the things that we are now we have the luxury of being interested Mm in people were interested in employment they were interested in emigration they were interested in all of the things that affected people at that point.
0: They were interested in survival to much more big, bigger extent than we, we are now because we have luxury.
1: We are the first generation who have the luxury to question what we're doing. And we're the luxury to have that critical analysis of what mm-hmm. we're now doing. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's a key a key point. And in in our past uh, mm. If you start from the twenties, the thirties, forties, fifties, these are not decades renowned for their critical thinking in, about in, in the, conservation in, in, any, in any factor. Yeah, and again, it, yeah, it's interesting that there there was quite still a lot of of other types of forests, broadly forests planted mm. and managed. The remainder, less than one percent of our native cover, was mm. still there. Largely in some of these old estates or or mm. hidden away, places like Killarney National Park and some of the other forests that you see on the mm. west, inaccessible places yeah. where the forests were not accessible and weren't interesting to people from a commercial yeah. exploitation point of view. Yeah. and that left with a very, very small kernel of native woodland resource to try and build off, <laughs> and again, it's it, it, again, it reflects the values of people at the time uh, mm. and the need. And there was a very strong need for the foresters at the time who were predominantly state foresters. It was a, a state planting program. Yeah, They were obliged to make a return. They were obliged to make productive forests because they were using state funding. They were obliged to conform mm-hmm. to the requirements to produce uh, forests that would, that would, yeah, that producing would re- resources make a return. For, for and that, that was purposes. a limiting element. And at the same time, some of those foresters did their best to try and uh make interesting forests and make uh and, and where the landscape was being changed that they had a uh there were attempts in a lot of places to try and make something that that would fit and you you have counties like wicklow there was some really really great species selection done in parts of wicklow and this continued pretty much up to the 1980s the large scale state planting program mm-hmm. uh, ran into the 80s and, and and 1990s and then we have the start of private uh, forest planting and private afforestation which which is interesting because the land quality starts to get better the choice of species begins to improve and what
0: time what time frame are we talking about uh, from
1: the early 1990s from about 1993 okay. Okay. uh until the present we've had a predominantly private uh, drive in in for new new forest development,
0: mm. but is it also driven uh, by timber production, or is it driven by you know like a recreational value? There's so a
1: broader on. range of people, so there's a broader range of objectives. But most of them are to are to secure the family uh, family farming. A lot of people would have farming interests that that own land, um, and the 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 interest there is to produce a second income source, a second uh, you know a more long term and more reliable income uh, yeah. source to back up uh, farm uh, farm incomes. And also then, uh, some people plant trees because they like trees. We have mm-hmm. a lot of landowners now who want something, want to do something that's that's enduring. They want to leave a mark, and forest is a great way to do that. And we see yeah. more and more private landowners having a wider range of ideas and, and a wider range of values. And we reflect, our forests reflect the values of the people that, that own them
0: yeah and so that's that's incredibly interesting and i you know i never expected that you're going to give us like a history a little bit of a history yeah. so 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 that's that's super interesting just gonna... um so and tell me like before really humans become uh, you know such a driving force of a of a shaping the landscape what was the what was the like a Original kind of wild uh, coverage or or species. So how does it look yeah. like in, in in Ireland? I
1: think I think after the ice age, there was a, a resurgence. There would have been forest cover prior to the ice age, and it was was basically co- covered by ice. And in mm. most most places, and in some places, completely scrubbed away by glacial action. And a, after the ice oh. age, our forest cover uh, re, 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 redevelops new types of forest. Um, we had a lot of pine and birch. We had these large oak forests on the better quality land. The, the soil in the Midlands and some of the places is very, very high quality. Mm. In the southeast of the country, very, very high quality soils. And we know from the cores, there's mud cores taken from lakes in various mm-hmm. places that the range of species pretty much reflects what we have for native species today. But mm. they can still find the pollen from these trees from tens yes. of thousands of years ago yes. in the lake co- cores. And they can go back in time and say what the cover was. They mm-hmm. can see even uh, evidence of some disturbances in our forests going back. They find carbon from fires from fires, yes, in the mud cores in the lakes. They find changes in the composition of pollen, in the ratios of pollen mm-hmm. in the mud that, that, that indicate the changing uh, composition of the forests o- yeah. o- over time. We had species like elm. Things we don't really see in the landscape now would have been relatively common wow. in the old, based on the pollen surveys. And the whole country, with the exception of the higher mountain areas, would have been largely forest. And some of those yeah. higher mountain areas probably would have been pine forest. We've, we find the pine roots under the blanket box. Wow. And as the climate changed, the climate was warmer, slightly drier. Mm-hmm. And as the climate changed and became wetter, the peat mm-hmm. built up mm-hmm. on a lot of these uh, forests and replaced the forest. That's, with that's fascinating books. because uh, you mentioned
0: the climate was warmer, right? So, yeah. so again, like with, uh, with uh, uh, you know, and I, I, I don't want to be labeled like a denier or anything like that, but with the warming of the, of the climate, you know, it was yeah. warmer. The,
1: right? the earth and its systems are dynamic and forests, yeah. people, forest is like glass. When you yeah. look at a pane of glass, people forget that glass is a, is a liquid. Yes. It's moving. Yes, it's moving it slowly. And forests are the same. They're dynamic, <laughs> but they move slowly unless they're disturbed, in which case they, they, they recover and they move quickly. Mm-hmm. But by and large, they're always changing and they're always responding to other changes. Yeah. And climate change in forests is certainly one area where we yeah. see... And uh, the
0: forest probably also shapes the climate itself, right? Absolutely. Should,
1: uh, yeah, it's, it's it. very important. And, yeah. and again, one of the easiest things we can do to combat climate change Right now, one of the things we have to do very quickly is to, to get on top of our climate change challenge. Mm-hmm. One of the things we can do is to plant more forests yes. and to plant the right types of forests in the right locations to capture carbon and to, to create opportunities as well for biodiversity and to do other things. Because as the climate changes... The pressures on some of the other biodiversity yeah. uh, also increase, Absolutely. and we need the refuges for these uh, other other species and animals, and so on. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so, so you you mentioned that after Ice Age, the the island was practically covered by the yeah. by the forest, and then what was it? The human, uh, as a human species, yeah. expanded. People then they came, people People yeah. start cutting the forest, and and then it, the process was going up until the. The guy started
1: with his stone axe. Yeah, and he did that one, that, and, one, that one. <laughs> and And he didn't stop until he had a saw. And then he, you know, it, it went from uh, stone to to bronze mm-hmm. co- or uh, copper to yeah. bronze. The technology improved every year. Every every generation mm-hmm. had a new technology. And can you imagine me, the first guy to walk home into his village with a stone axe? Yeah. A stone axe is a force multiplier in yes. your arm it's an increase it's a lever yeah. it's a weight on the end of a lever. The force that this you can now you know exert mm. is much greater yeah and the guy who walked into his village, the guy who invented the first axe or who came home with the first axe, must oh, have yeah. been a very proud he was the <laughs> guy <man. laughs> in that village that night, and the technology of course because humans were all yeah. about technology we're yeah. constantly improving yeah. um, once people mastered fire that was it for our forest because you know, people focus on the axis. But what people really used to clear forests was, was fire. They burned the forest. They burned the wood.
0: For the, pur- for the purpose of then having land for farming as, and, and so on and so on. And as the first
1: agriculture developed, the demand for more and more land, people begin to value other things. Mm-hmm. The forest would have provided a lot of game, and food and various yes. types of things. Raw materials for new villages and settlements. Um, and as the population increased, you know, there would have been all, all the things people wanted, but without, without being overly romantic about it, it, it was probably pretty grim time to, to live.
0: Oh, it was tough. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was so tough that we probably can't even imagine how tough it was. But right? a lot of the things. Life expectancy, yeah. 34 years.
1: <laughs> and, and, you know, you think about your, your worst night out camping. Mm. you know in bad weather mm. and you think about the equipment we have to protect us from that weather and then you think about
0: membranes and all that and
1: tarps and sleeping bags yeah. and everything is you know the the best our technology can offer and you go back and people lived in in those conditions yeah, they actually lived With there skins. they were
0: not camping there. they were actually living like there day after day yeah, yeah that's a incredible year. you have to
1: take your hat off to them uh, in in some respects but at the same time, everything they would have wanted was around them, in their surroundings, food-wise. And the, mm-hmm. you, you had to know mm. what the purpose of every plant, what the purpose of every tree, everything had a function. And people knew, I, yeah. I think, people knew much, much more about their surroundings than, than we do now for yeah. all our technology
0: I was wondering another one, no, like how people figure out, like okay, that plant is poisonous, and that plant you can actually, like how do they how do they figure well, out, like someone eat, had to eat that you poisonous can eat every plant, plant and die. You and can like, eat every plant. Once. Don't eat
1: that. <laughs> uh, you can eat every plant, but some you can only eat once. I think it's yeah. Terry, Terry Pratchett. So, and again with mushrooms, and people would have had more time to pass on yeah. that knowledge, more time to discuss, and more time to, to you know, trial and error. I think mm-hmm. was probably a large part part of it and also defined by where where you were and people moved they moved to find food they moved with the conditions they were nomadic mm-hmm. and as agriculture developed people became less nomadic and more yeah. settled they began to develop settlements the first settlements
0: yeah they tried to improve their day-to-day life so it's yeah. you know easier to bear and like not and the, not, and all of this imp-
1: all of this impacted on the forest the more land that was created the less forest they began mm-hmm. to make patch patch patchwork of farms and the settlements the first settlements we see these in mayo the cage of fields all of these uh, remnants are still there of how people mm-hmm. divided up uh, their land and and they valued cattle they became yeah. dependent on cattle and uh, the clearances continue and as the technology develops the the efficiency of that clearance yep. Increases. Yeah,
0: we know the story.
1: And then we have the arrival of the Normans and, and uh, you know, right up to that point where we have land is given away as reward mm-hmm. for people mm-hmm. uh, in service of various kings and various yeah. uh, feudal systems yeah. right up to Tudor times. Mm-hmm. And again, land is parceled out, cleared. Yeah. People and then could,
0: when you get the land, you don't, you don't try to develop like a native woodland. You probably, no, yeah. although in those times, you cut everything up and, you know, you, you have a cattle there yeah. or whatever just to make money out of that.
1: Uh, and up to Tudor times, people, land land in Ireland was sold in London and people could buy an estate in Ireland. You take came over, you uh, cut the forest, reduced it all to charcoal. You mm-hmm. sold the charcoal and you could pay for your, your land. Mm. and again this clearance so this really continued and then we have a population of 8 million in the mid 1800s yeah before the before the potato famine and we have an enormous population there's there's no space for forests in that type of landscape with that type of population a subsistence agriculture largely in the west west coast there's no room for uh forests forests mm. are a luxury for the people on the landed estates yeah. for sporting use and for ornament yeah. but by and large it's a treeless country a treeless landscape and
0: that's it's super interesting and are you interested in history like in general or is it like a part of, of what you what you had to know like is it, is it because you you have a, like a tremendous knowledge about the history I think history
1: one. is important in terms of if you want to know where you're going you need to know where you've been where you're coming from yeah. and why things and perhaps not make the, the relationships. Same mistakes well you'd hope yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I heard
0: that the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. <laughs> that's that's
1: that's that's bearing out, I think, in the modern uh, media at the moment. It's bearing out in you know what what's happening and the lessons that people didn't learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some politicians yeah. making yeah. statements.
0: Yeah. yeah. Listen, you you mentioned you mentioned game uh, game animals, and obviously uh, going back to these these old times. Let's call them. Uh, the forest was also a provider, a provider of food for all the yeah. all the uh, animals that lived there. So going back to the to the times where you know really all like hundreds of years ago, what was the uh, uh, animals that that was there? Were there in the landscape that are not now right now? We know about the the Irish elk or yeah. giant deer. Oh, well, the elk! Yeah. Uh, but was there any other animals that were that were specific to that time? I,
1: I think I think in our forests, see, in 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 the landscape we had, our, as an island as well, our, our mammal situation was probably there would have been bears. There's they they found. uh, remains of bears, they've been able to trace those back and they're using Mm -hmm. actually some of the carcasses and some of the, not -hmm. carcasses, but the the skeletons Mm -hmm. of some of these animals. Tell us a lot about the humans that lived in. So so, so scientists are looking Mm. at some of the skeletons. They're finding the remains of knife marks and flint marks on these. And that yields huge amounts of information and... Mm. um, Again, the, the, the availability of, of large carnivores, bears and wolves mm-hmm. in that landscape shows that there was a lot of game. There was a lot of things to eat where you have those kind of apex animals living yeah. in a landscape. Um, there are records. Um, there's a book. I think it's the chap's name is Hickey. He wrote a book about wolves. There are records mm. of exports uh, to, through the port of Bristol materials coming from ireland and the furs the skins of animals mm. um are listed in these ledgers that came from the yes. port because they all had there was a tax and a tariff yeah. and all that has to be paid on them and they had the skins of of all of these different types of animals uh, so there was there was a new a very very large amount in mm. our in our wood so like a, like a landscape. brown bear uh, the bears were were, were were almost prehistoric. They were gone before people okay. uh, or, or, uh, were killed out around okay. the time. But the, the first wolves people. Were, were present. The wolves were that. present until 1750. Mm-hmm. And records of the wolf skins appear in these export records. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 there's documentary evidence of this. And the last wolf was killed on the Carlo-Wicklow border in 1750.
0: 1750.
1: So that's, you know, wolves are making a resurgence in various parts, even some of the most densely populated countries in Europe, mm-hmm. in places like Holland and northern mm-hmm. Germany, wolves are making a resurgence. Mm-hmm. They're making a resurgence in Norway and mm-hmm. France, southern France and Spain. Mm-hmm. Wolves are making a comeback. And uh, we are people all the time, oh yeah, can we can we rewild Ireland enough? Yeah, I was going
0: pre-empting, to, you're preempting my question because this is an obvious question I, right now. I think,
1: I think we're too far gone mm. now for wolves. Yeah. But I think the idea of having a landscape that can support the animals we have mm-hmm. is very important, mm-hmm. and particularly some of the more endangered ones. It's very important that we have space for those yes. uh, animals. Uh, we can have a big debate about the wolf. I think there's more, mm. more important animals and more important things to 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 also yeah. to, to discuss. Yeah. But let's stick
0: with, let's stick with the wolves for 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 a yeah. moment because, at least on two occasions on the podcast, I was. Um, Discussing with my guest the uh, the issue of rewilding or reintroduction of wolves, wolves, and so so listeners of the podcast know my opinion about that. Um, so be- before before I'm gonna you know probably give my opinion again. What's your opinion on uh, you? You actually partially already said it that you think it's we gone too far. That it's not not doable. Is it not doable it's, or is it not practical? It's
1: it's everything is doable, but it's the cost of doing it. It's the price socially of doing it, Mm. you know. Uh, And I think the situation we have in Ireland in terms of how our land is is configured, how it's managed, uh, the type of farming we we do, I think there'd be a lot of social resistance Mm. to introducing the wolf at a point where we have more important things to do with the same stakeholders, we have much more important questions to to, to, to deal with about how our mountains are managed, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and now how the type of forests we want, how we're, how we're going to finish the job of reforesting Ireland, yeah. to what level and what type of forest. Yeah. Uh, these are the types of questions we need to talk about now. I think the wolf is a fantastic thing to have talk about in the pub over a mm. few pints. Mm. Um can the landscape support a wolf? This is the this is the ultimate well, decider. This is, this is, in, uh, this,
0: is this. this is this is exactly my point that you know even even if if you're you know go out deer hunting and you see like well how limited you are to the land and when you have a permission you can go whatever mm-hmm. where I'm sorry where where are those wolves supposed to be on that landscape? Yeah, they they will, will they will be killing cattle. They would be killing like a livestock. There will be massive conflict between wild animals and people. There will be Potent- this, this, potentially, this, and this, and uh, again,
1: it's a it's it's a, a conflict without, you know, and even in the debate about it, it's a it's a conflict without any real purpose in many mm-hmm. respects. Because we have other species that we have now, yeah, that we need to work hard. Things like curlew and hen harrier, yeah, that we need to work hard to protect and and mm-hmm. and make sure that they're. Uh, recovering, and they're in a in a condition as a, as a species yeah. that uh, that they can survive. Um, we can argue about animals we don't have. It's mm-hmm. a, you know it's yeah. a, it's an interesting debate, but we we've more important things yeah. to do. I, I, just, I think
0: very very sensible approach, and, and you know I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I I don't you know those those animals are gone from the landscape for a reason. You know, like, like, like we, we, because of humans, but the humans killed them for, you know, because there were a conflict and yeah. now kind of, like you said, there will be reintroduction of the conflict that is not, not needed and there are more important things to sort out. What's your view on badgers and, and as, as a, as a part of, of it? I, I think they're
1: part, all, a lot of the animals are part, they're natural part of our ecosystem and the, the landscape we have, the the current Irish landscape, you know, people say that it's, oh, it's a monocultural landscape of grass, but it's actually quite productive for some species. Mm-hmm. Some species do quite well in this landscape of fields and hedges and mm-hmm. patchy little pieces of forest here and there and some mm-hmm. large forest. But the badger is one of those animals that, that really thrives in that type of, of landscape. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, they do quite well. I'm, I think badgers, are, they're a great sort of, uh, success story in some respects mm-hmm. that they've managed to survive in yeah. in the type of and with the type of agricultural change in the last few years that they have managed to survive mm. in it, uh, going right back to you know to the second world War times, uh, there's a huge change in that in that in that you know couple of decades mm-hmm. And now we have also our deer uh, species that we have mm-hmm. in in Ireland, an area that I, I also work in. It's um, they're a success story as a species in many respects because of the type of landscape and they're reacting to the type of landscape that's there, the presence of cover that wasn't there in the past. There's now forest cover that deer need, coupled with this very productive grassland. It's the best grassland in Europe, most productive grassland Mm -hmm. in the world in some places. And we have these animals with perfect food, perfect cover. Yes and, and uh, so it is great great you know, conditions for it's for, a great for, yeah for, it's for, a, it's ideal conditions for some species
0: and the deer are expanding their their range in Ireland yes. but there's a number going up as well
1: it, it, it nobody knows mm. what we do know is that certainly we see deer and we see very positive signs of deer presence mm. um uh, absolute presence of deer in places where we didn't see before and i see this in my job i've seen this in the last few years we've seen uh, right. animals arrive into parts of Kerry, where previously we would have said there are no deer present, we now see the tracks, we see the signs uh, mm. of of presence of these uh, of these species. Yeah. And yeah, you know, are, are, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's a it's a good thing until a point where it becomes an issue, an issue, yeah, and an issue for landowners usually. Yeah. And again. It's about helping people to to navigate that space of here's a new creature on the land how yeah. do we how do we respond to this? How do we mm-hmm. deal with that? and it's about having uh an educated response yeah landowners.
0: That's a that's, a, that's a that's the most important part you know like understand yeah. what's up and, and, and we have
1: to understand how these creatures work, we have to understand what what they want mm-hmm. and also what they're trying to tell us because these species are also quite quite apart from just being animals. They're also indicators of good or bad practice, or good or bad elements in yeah. the, in the landscape. If yeah. our forests are being managed uh, properly, uh, the deer will tell us. If they're being managed in a, in an o- inappropriate way, the deer will tell us. Mm. The population and the responses of populations.
0: Yeah. Are there? Would you would you say that there are any benefits for having deer on the landscape? Because obviously there is a there is a there is a point of view. That you know every deer should be shot, and there's like you know they're, no. they're
1: just I think deer are part of the landscape, I think they're a natural part, and even though some of the species aren't native to ireland they're mm-hmm. they're part of our you know we talk about history the, mm-hmm. these deer are part of our heritage, they were introduced yeah. at a time by landlords who thought that they could do this. this was part of the uh, the, the you know the job of being a landlord was to introduce game species onto the land and um, the introduction of the fallow deer was by the Normans and fallow deer were there as a game species Mm -hmm. purely for sport. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're not farm animal. They're not a, Mm -hmm. they're not something forever. They're confined to, their use is confined to the nobility Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they were introduced so the Normans could go hunting because this was something they they enjoyed and mm -hmm. they they hunted with horses and they did all this sort of stuff. And the Sika deer, was introduced in the 1860s into Wicklow by Lord mm-hmm. Powerscourt and then introduced here into Kerry and to a number yeah. of other places. Yeah. And again, it was introduced for sport.
0: Yeah. And, uh, it's, and I think that at the moment, Sika deer in Ireland also have like a global significance because it's kind of like yeah. a pure, uh, pure, more or less pure pure supposed pure to be pure a blog. very pure,
1: pure strain. Yeah. yeah and there's yeah. different strains from different parts that are an Asian species originally. Yeah. But also really... Forest species, yeah, temperate forest, yeah. Asian forests. And they've responded to our landscape really well. They love it. They mm-hmm. can tolerate, thrive in our damp climate.
0: The, yes, because that's what they like. They, they The marsh yeah. kind, of, kind of. And
1: so. the places with that mix, those remnants of the old forests and some of the new emerging, there's some new forests emerging mm-hmm. also. Those spaces where we find those mixes of forest and farmland, different types of forest, commercial forest, native forest, mm-hmm. And that farmland, mixes of, of intensive and low-intensity farming, they are the places where we see the most activity by sea by deer.
0: Yeah, yeah. They
1: respond really well to all of those different, and parts of Wicklow, parts of Kerry, mm. South Kerry in particular, where we have very large populations, are the places where we have that mix of yeah. land uses. Yeah,
0: Kieran, i got to ask you about one more species, and you know that you like it, goats, feral goats. What's the story with feral goats and and how you know I, I know that there is a uh, damage done by the goats and yeah. like what's your what's your take on? I, the, on I think the feral goats, goats goats
1: like deer um they're they're again in the places where they're found, they're usually there for some historical or some local reason, yeah. and they're part of the they're part of the landscape in in some respects they're also quite useful, so some of the other work I've done is in in relation to fire. Yes. Goats will eat vegetation that other species won't touch. They won't yeah. eat. They'll they'll eat types of woody plants, types of things that are that would otherwise be available for fuel. So they, they have a use yeah. in some respects. Yeah. And what we see in other countries and, and in parts of Ireland now are, are where deliberately introduced herds of goats are brought onto land right. to treat uh and to reduce i
0: fibers. actually i actually uh, yeah. i hope i will have on the on the podcast a guy who is farming goats for exactly like you said for the purpose yeah. of either uh preventing fires because they can can um, i suppose browse no browse graze on the on the on the hill to prevent like you said yeah. and also for like clearing the sites yeah because you just get the goats there get the, get out they're there. A fantastic
1: uh a fantastic animal very hardy very robust very yes. healthy animals that we yes. find in the wrong place yes they can be a problem yeah biggest problem are people you know, in terms of <laughs> in terms of damage in terms of pests yes. biggest pests are people yeah. in forests yeah. causing damage barbecues litter mm. crashed cars burned I totally.
0: I, I'm a little surprised that you said that, but I totally agree. I totally agree with you. So <laughs> it's it's
1: yeah. Goats goats are uh, they're an old Irish entity.
0: Yeah, because there's like the goats, like an old Irish type when when they have a, like a horns that are growing yeah. together and then coming kind of coming and Irish. then they're kind of mixed with more. Modern yeah. goats, so to say, which have a, like a different a shape. A different shape,
1: and there's there's a school of thought around conservation of some of these older types well, of yes, goats, exactly. which again is, is is if they're if they're part of our heritage, we have to decide if are they part of our heritage. Yes, they probably are. Yeah. And if you think back into those, you know, when we had a lot of people living here, if you were on very poor land, mm. you know, you can't keep a cow, you can't keep uh, the things people would like. Goats produce milk. Are yeah. very, very productive animals. Yeah. Um, they don't take a lot of keeping, they don't take a lot of feeding. So you yeah. can see why people would have kept goats. Yes. And the goats we have now are a remnant of that. And in a yeah. sense, they're, they're they yeah. are they are.
0: Yeah, I absolutely think that it, it, it they they should be protected in some shape or I think, form. I think
1: protection has, you know, uh can work both ways. I, I think they certainly should be looked after. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we want full legal protection is it, may, it maybe is another question, but mm-hmm. certainly there should be the attitude towards goats mm-hmm. uh, should certainly be a, l- a little. By like full possible.
0: legal protection, you mean like in the same way like, to deer? Right? Oh yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think I so think we still envisage like an open season for them. I,
1: I think in there are places where that's always going to be necessary, yeah. and then there are places that could really do with some more goats. Yeah. Where you would like to see, you go to some hill areas. Mm-hmm. And the gorse and the heather is up to your chest. Yes. And you know it's going to burn. You know it's going to be a yes, problem. I know those areas. At some point. And you could say, God, you know, you could do a lot with a flock of goats because you can't get machinery into some of these places. Mm. Maybe you don't want to do some prescribed burning. You don't want to do that. Mm. But we're on somebody on site all the time eating yeah. is always a good thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they have a very, very definite use. Mm. And when it comes to other species, and again, some of the bird species, the ground nesting birds, yes. and so on, in creating uh, a suitable landscape by managing some of that older vegetation. The vegetation management is very, very important now. There's a much better understanding mm. of the role of vegetation management. You know, it's not about just stopping people from hunting birds. Yeah. it's also about making sure there's enough food, making sure that the landscape there's a habitat for them. So they the can the prey species, mm. and a lot of that comes back to habitat and, and mm. vegetation management in a habitat yeah there's a role for grazing prescribed grazing
0: mm-hmm.
1: in in that space using animals particularly cattle and so on but also goats as a as a feral animal yeah uh can also be quite useful
0: well, that's that's very interesting that's very interesting and so i gotta ask you about the fires and about the 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 gorse fires yeah one? like what's your what's your take on that because then again like i know that in for example in poland that's a big issue it's kind of bad. You can't do that, mm. but farmers keep doing it. And um, there's there's also you know two arguments of discussion whether it should be done. It's good for soil, yeah, yeah. Or no, it's completely bad. And it's destruction and nothing more. Like, what's what's your you know as a professional in the area, what's what's your view on that?
1: I I think fire is a space that we have to rediscover as humans. Oh we have we've lost the ability to use fire um, that our ancestors had and right. we you know you go to north america and i've trained in but north we have
0: engines we have a engines that are using fire for yeah the we we, fuels. we we've
1: captured we you know our, our whole system of life is yeah. based on fire yeah,
0: yeah but I, I, get no. you, I get your get your get your argument i yeah. was kind of you know um, i can pull here up a on bit. a
1: on a computer i can pull up a satellite a current mm-hmm. satellite image live satellite image mm-hmm. of this planet of mm-hmm. fire detections and the whole planet is on fire. At any given time, there are parts of the planet burning where people are using fire or there's natural fires. Mm. The whole equ- equatorial region yeah. of Earth is on fire. And mm. places like Australia and so on, there's yeah. periodic large yeah. scale well, fires. Where I there.
0: Even species of, of trees that, are, yeah. that require fire. fire, fire on, and other,
1: other plants that require this mm-hmm. uh, fire adapted landscapes require yeah. fire to regenerate. Yeah. Pine is one of those species. Um and we would have had some of those species present in our in our landscape. And there's evidence going back in the coal deposits from Ireland, of huge, pre. Like this is before the Ice Age. Huge fires, right. where uh, you know absolutely enormous, like the size of County Donegal. Um, there are coal deposits where they find the carbon from yeah. the partially burned wood is 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 in the coal, and they know mm. it's burned. They can they can tell from the carbon isotopes yes. that it it was done by 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 fire and this is now trapped in coal crystals it's amazing right, right. um but fire is, itself is we we have to re and particularly as Europeans we have to get ourselves back into a comfortable relationship with fire mm. and we have to learn to live with it you can ban it mm-hmm. fire doesn't care about your laws yeah it doesn't care what the day dates yeah. are of the yeah uh, of the Yeah season. but I mean
0: but I mean like you know they, they, the, the farmers are setting those fires yeah. on, on purpose so that so. and,
1: and that's part of that's part of their agricultural practice and, and mm-hmm. going back in time that's that's how some of that land is, is managed. Yeah. So what we have to try and do and or, and I suppose my, my view on it is that uh we can police ourselves out of this problem mm-hmm. and into another problem. We make the problem bigger by oh. policing it, by banning fire and Making it uh, illegal, we create another set of bigger problems down the line, like or or bigger fires, more fuel, more vegetation. Ah, okay, got it. Different got landscapes, it. It. Succession in so in so
0: typical thing. Like I, I think it was it was uh, uh, come into like a mainstream. Uh, I think somewhere in, in 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 the in the U.S. Yeah, where Smoky Bear, Smoky Bear, yeah, where like yeah. A, no no fires and those fires were yeah, extinguished, and, and, a, and as a result, was like a massive, even bigger fires because of the accumulation of so much ten, of the Yeah,
1: they fuel. had a, a 10 a.m. rule in the U.S. Mm-hmm. from the 1870s that fires had to be out by 10 a.m. the next morning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: any fires. So the local foresters and all these guys would go in and fight these fires and put them out. And what they were doing was they were stopping natural system from 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 working and doing its work in in the forest yeah. um our forests in Ireland are obviously slightly slightly different. Mm-hmm. the mechanisms are, are are slightly different, but the principles are are the same and if you if you prevent fires for long enough, the fuel loads because it's growing vegetation and fuel mm-hmm. that isn't eaten mm-hmm. fuel that doesn't vegetation that isn't eaten or doesn't rot down or doesn't get used for something else is available in the landscape generally. As, as fuel. Mm-hmm. And we saw that this summer, where uh, quite, uh, quite separate from the normal types of fires we see coming from farmers, we saw huge amounts of fires in places where we don't normally see fires oh. because the general public, the behavior of ordinary people okay. next to large fuel loads in some of the national parks, next to some of the bogs in the Midlands, these sorts of places where there hasn't been really any grazing or land management, um, the fuel loads are there. And those fires are very, very difficult to, um, to deal with. The fire wow. in the sleeve blooms took nearly a week. Yeah. Lots of people, lots of aircraft to, to try and suppress yes. and knock back. So my view is it's better to learn to live with fire, mm-hmm. get comfortable living yeah. with fire, and understand, like, like, like our wildlife, every animal, there are specialists in deer who understand the biology of deer, what deer want, how deer breed, you know, all of these different species. Um, we have to treat fire in the same way as we treat these species. It mm-hmm. has things it needs, yeah. And we can tell in the landscape when we see the fuel loads develop, we can tell that there's a fire potential,
0: mm.
1: and we have to start managing those landscapes to reduce that potential. Yeah. yeah. And that there's a there's a range of things we can we can do. We can obviously good active farming in the highlands in the uplands is is the best way. Mm-hmm. But the problem there is that the farmers in those places are getting older. They're getting less every year. We've fewer and fewer of these right. types of farmers managing the land in the right way to manage the fuel. Yes. So, it, and for us in forestry, it becomes a problem because the fires come from outside the forest. Yes. In because exactly. of the way our forests are, are located, where they're located in some of these upland areas, there's a lot of vegetation, and uh, yeah, we we we're redeveloping our fire culture now in forestry to. Oh. to adjust to this. Okay. And it was some, it was something that we had going back when we started planting first in the nineteen twenties and thirties, right mm-hmm. up to the nineteen seventies. There was a very strong farm management culture here in Ireland. Right. Which is crazy because it's one of the wettest countries in Europe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Huh. That's interesting. So you're not necessarily thinking that this is a bad thing, those those fires that you can see, because obviously the argument is like oh you know, all the wildlife, all the birds, yeah. everything, you know And they
1: will be destroyed by yeah. bad fires. So there's two types of fires. There are good fires and bad fires and what we have to do is manage the good fires that perform useful functions and don't damage the land and what we have to try and do is prevent bad fires from happening
0: yeah and, and that comes from fire management officer so it listen that folks
1: it comes from it, it, it comes from literally decades of experience in other countries with much bigger systems much bigger budgets yeah and much more experienced than we have.
0: So what are the bad fires? Uh,
1: what what we saw this summer mm-hmm. in our conditions were, was a worst case scenario of, of bad uh, fire. Type of bad fires. We have fires next to urban areas in Dublin and the South Dublin mountains where we have a lot of people living next to those areas who can be affected by smoke, who can be put in direct homes put in direct danger. Mm-hmm. Um, there are fires that absorb our small fire service. There's only 5 million people living in Ireland. So we have a fire service that relates to that type of population. Yeah. We don't have the scale that they have in other countries in terms of being able to put people up onto the mountains to fight fires. We have fire service designed and intended to fight fires in towns, and car crashes, these types of So things.
0: they're not really equipped to deal with it. The they're equipped.
1: They're equipped. They've been equipping in the last few years and reorienting themselves to deal with this issue. Okay. But the challenge is orienting a structural fire service to deal with something that's in a completely different type of environment, completely different yeah. scale. A house fire is a confined space; it's a confined yeah, area. it's
0: Completely different than a the, wildfire
1: can cover two thousand hectares exactly, and re, you know, require hundreds of people just to to to, to you know stay on top of. Yeah. Never mind fully fully suppressed.
0: So, what are the good fires then?
1: Um, w- we can use fire to counter fire. And sometimes fires that uh, don't, uh, some of the hot fires we had this summer would have penetrated into the soil, would have gone into the peat, would have burned down into the ground.
0: Uh, and is, is this the type of and fire that burns like okay, yeah, months, burn months, months and months yeah. and, and you don't even know?
1: Oh, we know, but they can't do anything about them. They're in areas where you can't get literally enough water into the bog to to completely extinguish. Oh man! There are fires that idea will, of
0: pu- putting water into a bog seems yeah. like wow. A
1: bad fire. What else? A bad fire will change the vegetation. It will burn through heather very very in a very hot fire, and burn off the seed source, burn off the seed bed, burn out the roots. Yes. And leave a hill that once had a heather mixture and a a, a range of different species that it could support will change to to things like millennia grass yeah. uh, and other lesser less useful types of species, yes <clears throat> so what we try and do is use cold cool fast fires to remove fuel from from fuel beds from from areas of vegetation mm-hmm. and we can design our fires for particular weather conditions and particular responses to
0: we meaning forest fire, fire
1: fire specialists can can do this. Yeah. yeah. Well, not 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 in our forest service, but in uh, we we have uh, a number of people across the country now trained to conduct prescribed burning. And what what we do is we we train farmers and landowners.
0: Well, that was my, that was exactly my question. Yeah. You know, like what's like what's the what's the chance that the fire that is set by a farmer on the hill. Is it not going to turn into a bad fire or is it good fire yeah, or is that person even know what he's doing? Or is it just like, oh, sure, you know, I'm going to pour some gasoline. And... Yeah, if
1: the landscape changes, if the landscape changes as it has in the last 50 years, when some of those people who are now, a lot of them are old, older people, mm-hmm. are burning, they would have learned to burn from their fathers or grandfathers in a completely different landscape. Right. So it's
0: not suitable anymore to the landscape. The traditional
1: techniques. So what we have Ah. to do is we accept the tradition, but the technique has to change. So what we've done is we've brought international standards for Mm -hmm. prescribed burning and we're now learning. I think we're just learning still how to do this. We're learning how to apply these in our, okay. our condition. And is
0: there any, any sort of a program that you're going out to farmers and say like, hey, you know, learn about burning.
1: Yeah, we, every oh. so often people run um, various groups. We have local fire groups in different parts of the country and they run days where farmers can come along and see the new techniques being being right. used and show people how, you know, we're not saying it's a better way, but it's, well, I think it's a better way. Yeah, safer, um, maybe, it's a safer, maybe, maybe much, not, much not, safer way. And particularly where you have a lot of older people Uh, learning to work in teams again, I think is very useful. Learning Mm -hmm. to look after each other and learning to know what they want to do. What's the objective of putting fire on the land in the first place? Very, very important. Yeah. And if you go back, way back in history, people would have used fire for to manage for game and for different things. We can influence, and again, going back to the forest, we can influence the forest and the animals in the forest by the judicious use of Okay.
0: So what you're saying is essentially like a good fires, uh, properly managed, you know, damage that yes, is that is, that is happening expensive. to the wildlife. It's it's something that you're willing to live with, because if we're not going to do that, then the damage is going to be much bigger. And I, so I think kind of, yeah,
1: a good fire is small. Mm-hmm. It happens in winter. The numbers of animals present, animals are not present to be damaged. It in happens in winter uh it it can happen in spring and mm. in, in late early spring in that space where the vegetation is the vegetation has to be in a flammable state so burning green vegetation in in you know in early mm. autumn it doesn't work right getting the right weather in our conditions here in Ireland really means doing this into into early spring right. if the weather is is suitable and that's that's important and also making sure that the the types of animals, some animals benefit from fire. Things like grouse. Mm-hmm. But if you burn the whole mountain, everything is gone. So it's mm-hmm. having patches, tiny patches. Yes. Meadow pipits, hen harriers, curlew, all of these species can potentially benefit from that mosaic oh. of tiny spots of burned, not even burning, any kind of change, mowing, yes, grazing, any type of difference in the vegetation can help. Uh, but if you just have... Uh-huh. you know a couple of hundred acres or hectares of land that's all the same age yes. same height yeah. same heather all the way across it's mm-hmm. it's going to be supporting less uh, it's is
0: is you know you just changed my way how i see the fires because yeah. i was i was pretty much upset when i still saw the fire like oh why well, it's burning we, but, we, but we, now now you kind of explain that so yeah. that's, that's, i, I that's get upset
1: bad. when i see stuff burning unnecessarily mm-hmm. The question is, can we can we what what could we do to protect yeah. every fire? Has how
0: you a... can tell? Can, how can you tell whether it's it's a, something that is burning unnecessarily, or is it like, it, is it, it not really possible for they a... tell
1: us lots of things. Fires give off lots of different signals. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the smoke tells us a lot. We can tell a lot from how much smoke is being produced. The color of the smoke, as a prescribed burner in in our conditions, we like to see. Uh, white smoke, uh-huh.
0: you know. We if you like see to see white smoke.
1: White, white, it means there's moisture present. It okay. means the soil is going to be protected. Oh, if okay. you see uh, heavy black smoke, brown mm. smoke, it's it's not good. It means that that's a very hot fire. It's likely to penetrate into the soil. Ah. The the direction of the fire relative to the wind. So a fire that's being pushed, imagine mm. a bulldozer pushing yeah. a fire. That's going to do less damage than a fire that's moving back against the wind, that has a long, uh-huh. you know, long residency over the soil. It's going uh, to put more heat into the ground.
0: Yes. So the slow moving yeah, fire yeah. is worse. And than the than terrain, all of these
1: things all come in. So uh, okay. it's, it's a very complex. We do a lot of training to, mm-hmm. to learn about it. It's a very complex space, but the fire itself. Gives us a lot of information just looking yeah. at it, and one of the things we do is we we analyze when we're looking at fires for firefighting. We say, okay, how can we how can we best treat this particular incident? Yeah. And the yeah. fire itself often gives us those yeah. uh, that information.
0: Yeah. If you if you, if you're out in the in the in the field in the landscape and you see the bad fire, a fire that is like a slow moving black smoke, mm. is there anything that you know you or anyone should do
1: well you call the fire services the first thing they are they are the agency responsible for oh, really? to put put a fire out
0: but if you're if the if you just see the f- you know farmer who just set this fire well i mean I, like I, fire I, service is probably not going to go there because the farmer will say like it's my land well, i set the if, fire if
1: if the farmer is doing his job correctly he will have phoned the fire service first to the control center and uh, said i have a control burn as a as a process ah, okay. for this and uh, he should be doing certain things. He should have a plan. He should know what he's trying to achieve. He should have a few people working with him. And sometimes old guys go off and they'll do this themselves. And there's a, there's a season that they're allowed to yes. do this. It's safe and it's it's yeah. acceptable. And then there's a season that it's not permitted. And mm-hmm. in that then, uh, what is that season? It, from from effectively from March, uh-huh. uh, through to. Um, September September first. It's you, you can't. You can't legally, yeah. From March to September. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, from from March the first to September the first, yeah. So it's mm. it's about having um, an understanding of with those landowners and yes. having making sure landowners are educated that they don't yeah. Yeah. Do that in the first place yes. is, a, is a better, yes. a better place.
0: That's 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 fantastic. Listen, <laughs> I just want to quickly touch now on the uh, program for developing native woodland. Yeah, uh, can you can you talk about that? Because I found this uh, on the on the workshop that, that was that you, that you were giving that workshop incredibly uh, interesting and 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 kind of um, maybe change in attitude towards you know like you you be, so to that point even in what you what you said is like oh we're gonna produce a lot of timber and we have a species that yeah. are you know good for that and that's the main purpose but i think this is the kind of like a change in in change in intact a little bit for developing nat- native woodland yeah
1: it's a, it's 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 augmenting what we already have mm-hmm. and i suppose what we have to do is say we, we our, our society wants more native woodland mm-hmm. that's our job is to give society what they want they mm-hmm. pay for it mm-hmm. so if people want more native trees then that's by and large, what what what, they, you know, what we have to do is persuade lots of landowners, thousands mm. and thousands of landowners, that they need to plant some native woodland. And they need mm-hmm. to do that in a way that doesn't impact on how they farm. And they need to do that in a way that won't reduce their ability to make a living from right. the land. You know, if we convert the whole country to native woodland, mm-hmm. where do we put the dairy industry? Where do we put our sheep? Mm-hmm. Where do we put all these other things? Yeah. So it has to fit in that matrix. It has to yeah. fit into that system. Yeah. And there are places that we can do this where it can help landowners, it can help farmers to mm-hmm. to 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 do what they're doing. And also there are places where it can aid the landscape where we, we where we possibly really need to do it. Yes. And to go back to some of those places in Dublin that were burning this summer mm-hmm. could potentially be converted to native forest that will be less flammable over time than the gorse and the yeah. other species that's there and and it would be would be an amenity and a landscape uh, mm-hmm. improvement over over time. Yeah. But first you have to persuade the landowners to do this. Yeah. We have schemes and we have systems that that are that that help that. We promote the, the schemes. Yeah. Um, protecting our rivers is very important. Mm-hmm. Having the rivers being the connections between the different landscapes. Um, I think having the native woodland uh growing along the rivers is going to be very important, making the space for that wow. uh, and, and connecting those woodlands together. That's going to be very important.
0: Yeah. And listen, do you think, is there any chance that the uh, big timber producers like Quilte or, or others, that they they will get into that scheme of developing native woodland? Yeah, I think
1: the Quilche certainly have been doing that already. They've oh. been converting A lot of those early places, go back out to Glentonassig uh-huh. in the Dingle Peninsula here. Yeah. Um, production forests, there are certain production forests that as they've been uh, harvested, a lot of the replanting is is focused on, on native woodland and oh. other, other broadleaves, maybe non-native broadleaves. Mm-hmm. But the native woodland approach to uh, restocking some of those areas is certainly happening. It's happening strategically in the places where it can have the most benefit. Mm-hmm. And then we have places like the uh, freshwater pearl mussel sites mm-hmm. where there's a mm-hmm. specific water quality Thing, where the best thing to do with forests into the future is to have native low disturbance type forests yes. there that don't get harvested and that are, we're, we're going to walk and we're going to enjoy them, but we're not going to be harvesting them. We're not going to be managing them in the same way. And um, that's been happening. It's been oh. quite successful as well. And in South Kerry, across the South Kerry area, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of examples of that. We have those examples in other parts of the country also. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so do you think that the, that these these monocultures the are bad or are they I I you know because like yeah. my 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 take on this, like I like though like this is something that I already read on the on the social media people kind of giving mm. out about all the, oh, these monocultures timber production yeah. and so on and so on but my initial admittedly uneducated view on that was like wow a lot of for a lot of trees It's it has to be good and you yeah. know probably like a species like a deer and so on like there. Yeah. And then, so then I, I I hear opinions of people arguably more educated than I am, like, oh no, it's bad, it's only timber production, it's the monoculture, whatever, whatever. And then, like, oh, which 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 is so? So, what's your take on I that? I
1: think the 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 degree to which it is monoculture is open to debate. We mm-hmm. have sixty percent of the uh, of the estate is is certainly conifers, is as uh, Sitka, but in terms of the other species 40% of the estate is something else mm. and in the in the in the newer forests yeah. that percentage is higher and say for example in in terms of broadleaves it's about 30 we have about 30% broadleaf cover mm-hmm. nationally and then we have other things so very few of the modern private plantations mm-hmm. are pure sitka they have to be by law they 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 have to be mixed with other things right now people may like a a greater percentage Mm -hmm. but the reality is it's the landowner who makes that decision and he wants to make something that produces uh, an income for him in the long term and the best income unfortunately comes from the the conifers now the conifers Mm -hmm. are a great success story at the same Mm -hmm. time they're worth two billion euros Annually, there's twelve thousand people go to work every day mm-hmm. in that industry, mm-hmm. moving these things from A to B and processing them and mm-hmm. then shipping them abroad, and that money comes back into the rural economy. So the yes. monoculture argument, yeah, people have 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 pretty much made it made a good case. I think mm-hmm. in it, it's not always the correct case, right? Um, <laughs> but certainly, I would like to think that our next batch of forest and certainly the in, in 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 my time working um we've had a good a good range of other species mixed mixed in yeah you know it's at about the 30 40 percent mark in terms of the yeah. mixtures that we've had um going forwards i think we're going to see more broadleaves we're going to see more other types of conifers the land we're getting is better quality we have and how'd you getting that land you farmers People oh, you mean and, and other is, that the, is that
0: the case what you mentioned that the farmers like age is they yeah like well, that's older part of it but know? also
1: the type of farming is changing and farmers want to put some wealth they want to have a pension fund they want mm-hmm. to have different things a college fund for yeah. children forestry is a good way of doing that uh-huh. it's not about replacing the farm yes. it's not about let's get out of farming let's, let's pack it's in the farm it's just a different use of the farmland it's about making that land work and optimising the income from a particular piece of land right. and if it's done right a farmer can help his income he can help the farm the land to work better if, if you know what gotcha. I mean, by gotcha. by having the forests in places maybe that are problematic or cost money to farm mm-hmm. um the wetter areas and so on or by having say native woodland uh, along rivers to protect mm-hmm. the rivers from cattle Yes. to protect them from 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 other things that might come off the land
0: so so if if there is a farmers <clears throat> listening to that podcast now, and I know they they do um what are the things to look first to see if these are lands that are suitable for native woodland? And once they identify yeah. this type of land, what they should do then to get get going with it. Yeah, that. I think
1: for for all types of forest and for all types of land, the, the first thing is to know what you want the forest to to do for you. What you want it to achieve. College fund. It could be a college college fund is a good way. A pension for somebody mm. in their in their forties, mid forties. Mm. A lot of farmers now are in their fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, a good solid pension fund, you know, for twenty years down the line or fifteen years down the line. That's that's important. These are mm-hmm. the things that you you can you can think about. Getting good advice, going to the likes of Chogask for mm. good independent advice. There's specialist foresters there can do that. Uh, also, so what, what's that again? Chagask, they're Chagask. the farm advisory service. Okay, they have a lot of useful people there that can. How provide, do you spell that? T e a g a s c. Okay, totally. Chogask. It means Chagask. knowledge in Irish. Language. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, there's advice can be had on it. Talking to other people who've planted. Mm-hmm. is very useful. Talk peer-to-peer advice is obviously very, very mm-hmm. useful. The most important thing is for farmers to listen to themselves and understand what they what they actually want for from their own holding themselves, what they hope to achieve. Mm-hmm. And to get, you know, look at all of the facts. It's not something they need to rush into. There's mm-hmm. nobody, you know, it's a long-term decision. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a decision, once it's made, most people I've met have been very happy with. Yeah.
0: And there's know? also development then involved in that, because I remember, like you're saying, like there are species that are kind of uh, pioneering yeah. species and then use yeah,
1: kind of developing
0: for, into the, you know, I, I remember what it stuck with me. I said, like, oh, everybody would just want the oak. But, the, you know, oak is a tree that goes, you know, after many, many yeah. things happen on the there's landscape. A lot of so you just don't don't go like oak. Yeah. You need to start developing. And that, I think it's that.
1: having a blend. The native stuff is great. From a biodiversity point of view, landscape point of view, from an income point of view, it's less attractive mm-hmm. than commercial forests. Commercial forests—it's commercial forests for a reason. You can sell it. Hmm. Native wood, and we—we haven't got that culture yet that they have in other countries. We're certainly on on our way to it, of managing broadleaf crops like this to make uh, to make a good income. Mm-hmm. But certainly,
0: income from the logging. In, then, from the deeper? logging of So
1: mm-hmm. it takes a little longer. Mm-hmm. But certainly some of the new techniques, some of the new systems that are there are, are, are better. Uh, mm-hmm. I, we're getting better at understanding that, uh, mm-hmm. how, how to make money from Broadleafs yeah. more quickly. Firewood, all of these new things. People, you know, when I when I started working years ago, 20 years ago, firewood was, you know, very few people were, were using firewood. It was turf, yeah. coal. Yes, Firewood yeah. is now one of the dominant fuels. It's going to replace yeah. turf, I think, in the next few years. And we're going to see a stronger markets for quality firewood. And I think there's money to be made in quality firewood, even though it's all people mm. say it's only firewood and they talk it down. Mm. It's still a marketplace. Yeah. And if you can make the work efficient, you can mechanize some of this. If you can make it efficient, and some people are doing that, there's an income to yeah. be made from it. Yeah. And as, as your larger saw logs and more valuable logs develop, if you can balance that with conventional commercial forestry, you've mm-hmm. got a great yes great double act yeah and yeah. i think that's that's where the secret is and is, is in having that balance
0: yeah and this is, so but all that is like from the perspective of then you know you're growing the you're growing the the forest you're growing the trees and then you cut that down and you don't have trees anymore are there any projects or any oh, yeah. any just just to develop a forest just for the purpose of be forest being there without necessarily having in mind that you know in yeah. 20 years time I'm going to cut it all and no
1: we have it. we have new systems they're not new people have been doing it in other countries for, for, for centuries uh, of continuous cover forest where you don't yeah. clear cut and there's a huge demand from the public for us to develop systems. Well, we already have developed the systems it's oh. a matter of encouraging landowners to, to adopt these ah. in the places that it can, a lot of a lot of the areas again are constrained by exposure and and the weather conditions in some of these places the climate yeah. constrains uh, the use of continuous cover and then we have issues with deer the deer populations in some areas mm-hmm. constrain the adoption of continuous cover in what, in what sense as you try to grow understory species mm-hmm. the deer will just eat them huh so the types of trees you're trying to grow as a, a you know underneath your canopy are very vulnerable. And, right. uh, you know, you travel to other parts of Europe and you'll see this happening in your own country. I've mm. been, I've seen people yep. do this in oh, Poland. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, major issues with, with deer. Having to treat every individual tree, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Because deer, it eats forests. They eat, they love it. And again, <laughs> this is part of the, the success story of forests. Yeah. We have a lot of deer in some places. So we have to yeah. learn how to manage that. We have to learn how to uh, balance all of these things together, which is, very tricky sometimes because mm. people don't want you to they want you to have continuous cover but they don't want you to shoot the deer yeah that's, they don't that's, want you to do mm-hmm. this they don't want you to do that so we don't want you to plant it and then they don't want you to cut it yes so we have to try and balance all of these things yeah <clears throat> and it's important that the deer as part of that you know they, they, you know they can have as much influence as the forester if they're if they're allowed mm. and eventually and what what we have even with the with the estate we have in places like Wicklow and here in Kerry mm. the use of the estate for recreation as we bring and we invite the public to come and see our workplace where yeah. we work yeah. this is what we do those types of conversations around what you know what are you doing why do you do this these conversations now happen this yeah. comes back to our our society is very different to the mm. one that the for foresters who planted a lot of the forests that are being felled now, mm-hmm. their society was very, very different from ours. You, yeah. you know, those types of questions weren't asked. Yes, no, it's doubt. a very different set of values to to what we have now.
0: Yeah. How do you think what's the what's the future for uh, for for the forestry, for the development of the forest, but also for kind of uh, natural environment and and you know biodiversity and and in, in you know not necessarily. Do you, so do you think that the future will be mainly commercial commercially focused uh, forestries because that's a need or do you see a little bit of more of a development you know of the, like a wild places for the want of a better I, description?
1: I, I, I'd like to see a balance between the two but it's a very difficult balance to 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 fit to make the biodiversity elements
0: mm-hmm.
1: attractive for landowners because we're primarily dealing with private land. For landowners. So what we have Mm. to try and do is find systems and mechanisms to balance the cost of biodiversity measures, pay for those or make them reward Encourage
0: farmers to actually... And at the
1: same time, uh, make sure that commercial forests aren't affected and that the Mm -hmm. commercial activity can continue uh, without too many... You know, there has to be some restrictions, obviously. Mm -hmm. There has to be controls over certain things. Which, which we do. Um, but it's about having that balance between the two, making sure that people can can live off the forest, make a living mm-hmm. from the forest, while at the same time the forest can go on living and provide uh, uh, opportunities for for other things. And I think the recreational space, mm-hmm. again, um, it's very important that we have a space that can support recreation. Yes. And a forest that's attractive for recreation is likely to be a good forest in many other And that's
0: respects. a likely forest that will stay there because, the, and and that's like you said, that people, yeah. landowners can have a benefit of, of... And is that the trend that is developing? Is that something that you see more and more of kind of forest for the purpose of recreation and, and people?
1: It's, it's certainly being encouraged. And, and again, here in Kerry, we have a number of places that are managed purely for recreation. Forests mm-hmm. have been established. And we've I've met certainly a number of landowners who have planted forests Purely for biodiversity and and recreational use down Whoa. the line, and they know themselves that in in time, this you know their their intent is to have public spaces right. for for the forest that they own.
0: And is your hope is that that trend will be developing more? Is we're going to see more forests planted for the purpose of recreation and and? and I, so
1: I think on? I think the this certainly the supports and the schemes and the measures are there. It's about having landowners and local authorities and people who have land and forests that are suitable. Uh, making those decisions, we see, mm-hmm. and and again here in Kerry, we have a very very great understanding of tourism and recreation. Yeah, and I heard places, the phrase "holiday county." It is, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's it's the you know the Riviera of Ireland when we you know when we get the <laughs> no and no doubt. we've got some very good examples of people using forests. For for, for, for for commercial recreation. We've got good examples of people using forests. Even state forests are part, they're the backbone of the walking routes. They're the, you enter the landscape mm-hmm. in the forest. Yes. The main routes uh, for all of these main tourism routes are generally in, in forests for the hiking trails. And the access roads that we use for harvesting are also used by people hiking. They're used for people on bikes. There's all kinds of things happening on mm-hmm. them, and that's that's great. And I think as that demand and people's understanding of these spaces mm-hmm. uh, improves, the demand for more yeah m- more space, more forest. I, I had a,
0: it. I re, now I remember I had a, uh, on a podcast. I think his name was Brian Fennell. He's from the County Wicklow Partnership, and he was also talking about kind of working with farmers, landowners, yeah. exactly for the purpose of building trails and yeah. kind of, you know, even if not particularly developing their land for the purpose of that actually Allowing access to the public for the walks or, or yeah. stuff like
1: and, that, and, and one of the best examples and people from Wicklow actually come here to Kerry to learn from the Kerrymen. One of the best examples is in the the Reeks, the Reeks Access Program here in Kerry, hmm. for the mountains. The, the highest mountain in Ireland is is on private land. It's privately owned by a group of of private farmers. Oh, it's not a it's not a state national park, or it's 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 effectively a farm. It's farmland, and it's a thousand meters high, but it's still a farm, hmm. and. There's a a system there to help the landowners balance that demand for the recreation with their need to farm and do the things that they're doing and and their ability to to make a living from their land. Everybody's coming to visit. But, you know, how do we contribute to these guys? So there's a very, very good example of that here in Kerry. And again, we can learn in forests from some of these systems about how we use our forest resource. You know, there's I can think of straight away of some really, really great f- privately owned forest plantations that are, would have a very good recreational uh potential. Yeah. But it's like how does how does the landowner manage that? How do you achieve yeah. that? Yeah. Um it's it's you know, you, you don't just magically put up a gate and people come. You there's yes. a whole sequence of things that has to be in place before people will want to to do this yes, yeah supports or so. that's
0: that's fantastic and uh, listen, you're you're just uh, told a massive you just relay massive amount of interesting knowledge and I, I've never thought like a, do you have any any concluding thoughts you know, like what would you would like to leave uh, uh, listeners with in, in their mind you yeah, know? I
1: think I think there's there's a debate certainly at the moment in Ireland around forests around the types of forests that people want and I think that has to be a constructive conversation and people have to understand why we have the forests we have and how those forests are are managed, what they actually, uh, the function that they've had in the past. Uh, We need to understand the past um, in terms of how we got to where we are with our forests at at the moment. And then we have to have a very good conversation around the types of forests that that we want to have. And we have to have uh, a proper balanced discussion Mm. Uh, yeah. Around that, and, and I think uh, social media is all very well, mm-hmm. but it's it's not a very constructive place to have those types and that's, of
0: direct. and that's maybe my <clears throat> my my concluding uh, thought or question to you: How to get involved? Like like you said, like you know, you say like we should have that conversation, but mm. how to have that conversation? How to get involved? And you know, if like like you said, it's you know easy on social media, send a tweet or a Facebook post, yeah. but that is, doesn't really make much impact and on the other hand probably people who are living in the city they have strong opinion about like oh it should be this or that oh. but they're completely detached from people who are actually living on the land or of the land their perspective is is, is different this so, is all this so,
1: time like that 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 sort of issue has been there for yeah. generations in yeah. lots of different yeah. areas.
0: But the, how to get into that discussion? How I think to you make are, an yeah, There, are, get there are
1: useful groups. Woodlands of Ireland is a very useful group for people interested in native woodland. Uh, mm-hmm. www.woodlandsofireland.ie mm-hmm. is a very, very useful organization because it's a constructive organization. Yeah. And what they want to do is, is to improve people's understanding of, 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 our, of our forest or native woodland and also to animate people into action Mm -hmm. on developing new native woodlands how do we do this and they have a lot of events during the year a lot of training events for foresters but also the public can go to some of these events and we have landowners uh who want to plant woodlands go to these events and they see examples they see good examples of good practice and that's what we have to do we have to share the good practice the understanding of good practice Mm -hmm. and then we have to try and share uh what do you call it an idea of 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 what we would what we would like a vision for for what we want to try and yeah. do and i think woodlands of ireland are one of the one of the great organisations that uh, woodlands of ireland woodlands of ireland yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. pro Silva ireland on the other hand for the continuous cover forests mm-hmm. again a great mix of professional foresters private landowners private citizens mm-hmm. uh working together to build a different vision of, of how we can manage. Right. And
0: these are organizations that have a real impact that they can make a change yeah, they and make, they can influence the lawmakers. They make influence.
1: Saying. Yeah, you can you can campaign or you can influence and I think sometimes influencing is a more uh, a more effective place. Yeah. And certainly that's been been the way. And then at the same time there are lots of people out there I can think of several people here in Tralee um, who are on a daily basis encouraging children in schools to grow trees, small little projects in little corners, Neve Nadul and Gert Brack and, uh, and so on. Um, Gert Brack uh, in, in McGregor showing people um, particularly school kids, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: how trees work, how to plant simple uh, trees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel Boyle again in Tralee doing this on a daily basis in, in schools, in, uh, in those systems, showing the next generation of people why trees are important. You know, there's lots of different organizations doing, doing that sort of stuff. But even the smallest scale mm-hmm. activity is very, very important because it improves the understanding and it improves the interest, the level of interest that the individual person has yeah. in our forests because they're all, they're all forests, all, all belong to us, essentially. Yes.
0: Kieran, uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, thanks very much for the opportunity. It's really, really enjoyable. Thank okay. you.
0: You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.